With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball, the all-basketball, all-year-long podcast. And man, have we had some good ones, and I really appreciate you downloading, subscribing, and rating our pod. Make sure you tell a friend, tweet it out, put it on social, whatever you want. That's good stuff this week from Scott Brooks, which is upcoming. Part two of our conversation. Part one gave us his early upbringing. One of seven kids, dad walks out when he's really young, and they kind of had to fend for themselves. His mercurial path to making it to UC Irvine after TCU as a freshman, and then uh, not making an NBA team in summer league, but sticking around at Loyola Marymount, and eventually getting invited to 76ers camp, going to the Albany Patroons, back to the Sixers camp the next year, making the team, getting a chance to start six games as a pro, but winning an NBA title with Houston, traded at halftime to the Dallas Mavericks. And then uh, this week we'll get into his coaching journey, which is really an interesting one. He coached in the ABA. I played in the ABA. We know each other very well. We know a lot of the same people. 
but um, his path to becoming a head coach. What's it like to take over a team that was uh, that was a disaster? They were one in twelve, I believe, at the time. PJ Carlissimo had lost the team. He had a young Kevin Durant. They add a Russell Westbrook and a James Harden, and the, they they go to the NBA Finals. Going to ask him about trading James Harden and um, his thoughts at the time, his thoughts as of now. We'll get what it was like to coach in those NBA Finals and. Uh, what he's learned during his uh, during his time away after losing his job with the Thunder and his thoughts on this year's team with the Washington Wizards. Plus, I'm going to ask him about that John Wall photo when he was practicing with Team USA and he looked puffy. Let's just say puffy to say the least. L- let me qu- quickly give you some thoughts on the story of the day or the story of the week. Jimmy Butler wants out of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He watched the Timberwolves last year, and I talked to some NBA people like, whoa, those guys do not like each other. I don't think there's ever just one factor in a guy wanting out. I think it's one, a lack of chemistry. Two, um, I think sometimes guys' egos aren't in check. Maybe that's the chemistry issue to it. Three, there's also the Jimmy Butler's supposed to be the defender of all things Tibbs in that locker room. And it's not like everybody doesn't know that. And I'm not sure he loves all things Tibbs, but... Tibbs does depend on him and believe in him. That's why he brought him and all the rest of the seemingly the 2011 Bulls over to Minnesota, and now he now he wants out. But I also think the contract, the upcoming contract, the number of touches, the points, I think all that affects him. Andrew Wiggins is a better scorer. Carl Anthony Towns is a better overall player. And Jimmy Butler's story uh, is one of legend, you know? Homeless, becoming an incredible player at Marquette and then lightly regarding the NBA draft to being an NBA all-star and a guy playing for team USA. But, but some of that, some of that, that hunger, some of that maybe anger doesn't present itself well in a locker room over 82 games. And maybe there's a loss of self, you know, the fact that he wants to be with the nets and with the Clippers and with the Knicks shows he, he wants to be the man. I remember he's friends with Kyrie Irving, and I, I get the idea, hey, I want my own, my own team. But Jimmy Butler's not good enough to have his own team. He's just not. So if he's your third best player, you can win a title. If you're your second best player, you cannot. Your best player, you might or might probably aren't a playoff team. Case in point, Chicago. So um, I'm going to be fascinated to see where he goes, what he does. But there's a little buyer beware because Jimmy Butler thinks of himself as a top 10 player in the NBA, and maybe toughness and versatility-wise, he has some of that. But at some point, it's about talent, and I think he falls a little bit short in that variety. And so the idea of making him your go-to guy is an ill-fated, ill-fated uh, path for some of these teams. All right, let's get to our discussion with Wizards head coach Scott Brooks. This is part two. If you missed part one, download it, as well as download the Jay Billis conversation. There, there's something I heard you talk about, which I've tried to, I've tried to share as a broadcaster and I probably, and I, I learned it as a player, but I probably learned it a, maybe a bit too late. There's a difference in the role of being a starting point guard and a backup point guard. And, you know, the Matthew Delavadova's, the, the Scott Brooks, the Darren Collison, when he was a backup with the Clippers, like, t- and tell me if I'm wrong. Like you, you, uh, Patrick Beverly, for example, like guys like, man, Patrick Beverly is like borderline dirty. Like you have to be, you got to pick up 94 feet. You have to change the tempo of the game. 
Um, you got to be able to get out of the way and make an open shot, but also let the other guys play. Uh, it's it's a very it's a it's a, it's the same position point guard, but a, a completely different role. You're not trying to do the same thing the starter is going to do, only for a shorter period of time. And I think it, especially for a guy like you, and this is where I think there's a disconnect for fans. People that know you played in the NBA don't realize, like, dude, you were 24 a game in in college, like at a legit college, dropping 24 a game. And to, hey, I'm going to score six a game, but I got to make every open shot. I got to guard the other team's point guard, who's probably a combo guard, and that he averaged 25 a game in college and do it, you know, be better against better competition in a much shorter period of time. Like, that's a really hard adjustment for players to make. It's one of the reasons that some guys might have more kind of upside and talent, but they can never be the backup point guard in the NBA because they can't change roles, even though it's the same position. See, it, I mean, you, you nailed it. It's such a important position on a team uh, because you really have to understand everybody's role, and you have to be a connector. You got to be able to play with the starter. You got to be able to play. Some nights you got to be understand that you're not going to play a lot of minutes, and you're not going to get a lot of opportunities like the starting point guard. But you have to have the mental toughness to be able to compete and do whatever it takes for the coach. Um, that asks of you and be able to make shots and you're not going to get a lot of them. And it's funny, I even like changed my routine. I knew, you know, most, most warm-ups you always, you know, you start with like, you know, four footers and go out to six and eight, maybe free throws and then, and then eventually get out to the three point line. But what I did every time I walked into the gym, I started taking shots that I would take this first shot of the game. And usually it wasn't, it always seems you get the ball, you're wide open, and then you're 23 feet, 24 feet from the basket, and it's a wide open three. So what I even did as my uh, pre-practice workout, I just started, like I walked on the court, and I just started shooting threes right away. And not a lot, because you're not going to get a lot. And I would stop and then just work on my ball handling. And then I would, you know, do some push-ups or sit-ups, and then I would come back and just shoot uh, a three, like, and put pressure on me. i got to make this shot. And so I think it, it helped me mentally to not be able to, you know, get a lot of shots, but be able to make that first shot. You're an assistant coach with the Thunder. It's your first season in Oklahoma City. And I think it was 12 or 13 games in, PJ gets fired. Um, did you know you were going to be the guy when PJ got fired? No, I, you know what? I was with PJ the year before in Seattle as an assistant. He was the head coach, and that's the thing that people don't really put two and two together, even though they know it, but they don't really bring it up enough. The, the team was really bad then. I think we only won 22 games in Seattle. Love PJ. Great family. Just a great person to be around. Fun guy. Tough coach. I mean, tough. Tough on, on his assistants. Challenging. He made you do a lot of things, and you – he wanted it at a high level and very particular in everything he did. But so we moved to Oklahoma with the with the move from Seattle, and we didn't have the start that we would like to have. We were one in twelve, so they ended up firing PJ and Coach Westhead, and they hired me. I didn't know that I would get the job. I knew, you know, I knew maybe I would be the next guy for a game or two, maybe until they bring somebody in. And so Sam Presley. Before the game, we just get we just got our butts kicked by uh, New Orleans. Chris Paul and David West they had a great team that year at home. I mean, they I think we lost by thirty, but it could have easily been sixty. So 
So going to the airport, we play them back to back. Now we're going to New Orleans. I'm traveling to the airport, and I get a phone call from Sam. He says, "Hey, do not go on the plane." I'm like, "Okay, this is a strange call." And he says, "I'm going to call you back in two minutes." So I'm at the airport in my car, still don't know what's going on. Calls me back and says, "Hey, we just we just fired uh, PJ, and then we're going to put you as the interim coach." Um, so I don't know how he said, basically said, I don't know how long it's going to be, but just, you know, lead the team. You're going to New Orleans tonight, lead the team. So I get, we get to New Orleans. I think we land like, by the time we get to the hotel, it's like two thirty. We have a, a team meeting in, in this little ballroom. I tell the team what happened. Obviously it's emotional. I have a lot of love for PJ. It's not a, it's not a great feeling. But it's also you gotta you gotta do your job. You you gotta step up and do your job. And it was tough. it was not an easy game to coach. And but you know we ended up losing that game. I don't know how it was a close game, middle of the fourth quarter. I think they beat us by ten or twelve. But I started off with that team. We were one and twelve. I think our first win. I put. I decided, and I was I kicking myself because I wanted to do it from the first night is to put Russell Westbrook as our starting point guard. So I thought he was the best point guard on the team. And so I waited like, I don't know how many games, six, seven games in. And then I finally put him at the starting point guard at Memphis and we ended up winning the first game. Tells you about, you know, his greatness that it was, I saw it early on. We all saw it early on and I'm glad he's having such good success because he, he went through a lot to get there. Who, who were you st- were starting before that? Earl Watson? Or were you starting? Was uh, yeah, it, Earl uh, Watson. Earl Watson, good player. No, good player. But no, no. He was, not, uh, he was not better than Russell Westbrook, and, but he was a really good player, good starting player, uh, and had a great career and a really, you know, tough. Uh, but he was, I thought he was better suited to be our, our backup. Right. He's a, he's actually, again, another guy who was just, he was tougher than a $2 steak, right? He was a, he was a perfect backup. Absolutely. Um, one okay, of the so players in the league and had a great career by being that type of player, and you know, and he'd get back into coaching. He deserves another chance. He had a tough, tough run in, in Phoenix, but you know, it's always the second time you're around. It's a lot of times your best time. So, um, wh- how, what was the cut? When did you know that you were getting to keep that job? Um, did not know until late, late in the season. I want to say the last couple of games and. I knew we were struggling. We were three and twenty-nine. So I, I mean, I'd be, I mean, I'm crazy at, at, at times, but I don't think I was that crazy enough to think, oh yeah, you got to keep this coach. He's three and twenty-nine. Uh, but yeah, I knew that you know it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the, you know Sam Presley to to keep me. But I, I give you, I give our play, players credit: Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and Jeff Green led us as first and second year players that I've never seen it ever in my playing career or my coaching career uh, prior or after them that they were able to lead a group of players that had a horrible start and they, they were our leaders of our team and they inspired me every day. I would see them 11 o'clock practice on the court at nine fifteen. I'm like, Oh my God, don't these guys realize we're three and 29. This is this is not fun, but they made it fun. They were so competitive. You would have thought we were twenty nine and three the way we practiced. It was so competitive, so much energy, so much intensity and passion that I said, you know what? 
you guys, let's just keep making these games fourth quarter games. And we did. Unfortunately, we had, I had the worst luck. I thought it was all me. I swear we lost six games on the last second shots. I'm like, man, maybe this coaching thing's not for me. I'm like the jinx of this team. And they're, they're working their butts off, and they deserve to win. But these guys are making miraculous shots, last second shots against us. But we made every game a fourth quarter game. I said we were going to turn it around, and we did. I think we were like ended up being the last fifty games, like I don't know, twenty and thirty. So at that point, I thought, you know what, we turn it around. I might have a chance, and ended up they gave me a chance to coach the team, and I had a, a great run there. Yeah, and I remember when you we won fifty games next year. I was at that Lakers series at Game Six when Kobe. Uh, hit, you know, uh, I think he missed a turnaround. Pal put the had to put back to beat you, but it, it was it was pretty obvious you guys are going to be around uh, for a while. Yes. Uh, uh, obviously, you know LeBron is and and they had an incredible roster that beat you in the finals. But yeah, if you could no, go, yeah, go ahead. No, no. Um, if you could go back and change something about your team, your approach in those finals, what would it be? You know we. We had a, we were one of the youngest teams ever to get to the, to the finals, and I thought, you know, we win like twenty three games, twenty two games the first year, and then we jump up to fifty, play the Lakers in the should have been a game seven, and then we get, you know, every year we get a, a step further along, get to the conference finals, and then next year we get to the NBA finals. So, the natural progression was, you know what, we're there, we stay together, we get to the finals again, we win it. So going back on that finals, you know, game one we win. Uh, game two, we just had a horrible start, just horrible. I think we were down 18 or something, 20 points. But we ended up coming back, have a chance to tie the game. Uh, Derek Fisher inbounds the ball. Durant, Dirk, Kevin misses a shot, but he gets fouled. They don't call the foul. We, we have a chance to put it back. We get fouled. They don't call the foul. The next day, the NBA comes out and says it was a foul. It should have been called, but neither there, neither here. We would have, we would have hopefully, we would have took it to overtime and maybe win that game, game two. So I kind of changed the dynamics of that series. So now the format was 3 2, I mean, 2 3 2, and then we're, now we have three games Miami. A lot of, I get a lot of, questions like why do why did I play Perk so many minutes well I really didn't play him a lot of minutes I started him uh matter of fact I think the most if I can remember correctly I'm not totally sure so fact check me on this that he played the most minutes on the game that we won game one I think he played like 26 minutes or so but the thing that I that he brought to the team he was a comfort like almost like a, a blanket for a lot of our players they love Perk Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook love having Perk on the floor. They played better with him. They felt more confident. Perk had their back. The guy was, he was bad. I mean, he was bad to the bone. He didn't, nobody messed with Perk or our team. So, but I knew that we would have to make some adjustments, and we did. We lowered his minutes and decreased his minutes as the series went on. The bottom line is we played against a better team in their prime. Those same players that, you know, our players were basically 21, 22. Their three best players were in their prime, tr- prime 28 and 29. That's like saying James, Russell, and Katie on the same team right now. It would not be close, and you probably wouldn't be talking about the Warriors as the way we are if they were on the same team now for the last you know, seven or eight, ten years or so. But I have nothing but a lot of pride for them. 
for the run that we had. My staff did an incredible job. Unfortunately, we didn't have the team coming back the next year, but we still battled back. We ended up being having the best record in the league. Russell Westbrook coaches me the first playoff game right before halftime, right. and everything went down from there on out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I got it. We, we've talked about this on the radio show before, and I, I um, the, the James Harden trade, I know some of it was about money and about the luxury tax. Some of it, I, I do think, and I'm not trying to defend a trade that I think anybody would point to is not a great trade, but in the context of that time, is it fair to say people did not know what the cap would look like after the new CBA? And I think here's another part that I've often, often wondered. Back then, to get to the finals, you had to go through the Lakers and the Spurs, and they both had two big guys. And so even though Harden was a burgeoning star and was really your fourth quarter point guard, right? You played him and Russ together and, and James handled yeah. the ball a lot in, in the fourth quarter. You, they're all, they're all also feeling like you had to have Ibaka maybe even more so than had, had James Harden. If you, if you had to pick one or the other, because you had to have two bigs to beat the Spurs and the Lakers. Is that, is that at least part well, of you know, you, the, the thing is with James, you know what? He, he made everything go. He made everything. he, we were a very good team, a high-level team, you know, when we did not have them. But with James, we were special. We were, that, was a, that was a for sure, bar injuries, a championship team because he made everything go. He was selfless. And he didn't, he didn't want to start. He wanted to play as the backup role. But I was smart enough to realize that, you know what, he's not going to play backup minutes. He probably, I think he was like six, or, six in the league in minutes for a two guard. So he was playing started minutes. It just didn't start. And he made everything go. He have, he should have been an all-star that year. I think uh, somebody got hurt. I think they commissioner Stern replaced them with, uh, I don't remember. I think it was Jason Kidd. but at that year, he at that time he was averaging like 18 points a game. And really we were winning every game and he was a big factor in fourth quarters, but he made everything work. And, and I think that season he averaged 17 and like five assists and five rebounds. Nothing taken away from service. Was a great player, shot blocker. Became became a really good three point sh- uh, a, a shooter, and eventually was going to be a three point shooter. But at that point, he was averaging nine points and seven rebounds. So James was really good. You know, he was sixth man of the year, borderline all star. If not an all star, and the next year probably would have been for sure an all star. Could you Nobody, have, could you have could you have gone in go and ahead. stood on the desk? Could you have gone in and stood on the desk and said like you know, don't do this. <laughs> No, no, I mean like, that right? wasn't. I mean, we we all had we all set our piece, but that wasn't my job. My job was to coach the players that I had, and and and, and Sam ran the team as he saw fit, and I respected that. And and I, my job was to coach the players. Like, he gave me, you know, fifteen players to coach and develop and get get them to play together as a team, and that, I took pride in that. We, we got a lot. Of, we had a lot of young guys. A lot of young guys. And they played hard, which is not easy to do. And they played together. It's really not easy to do when you got young guys to play hard and play and well together. But we were able to do that, and I'm I'm proud of that. I'm proud of my staff's uh, performance and getting those those guys to play extremely hard, play together, and also represent our team and our city with a lot of class and a lot of pride. And and you know what? We didn't win a championship, but they were they were champions in my eyes. Um. You fast forward to your last year there. You talk about bad luck. Not only does KD miss, I think, 51 games, right? Every, seemingly everybody gets hurt on your roster. But then you end up, um, New Orleans gets in the playoffs. 
And the only reason they got in the playoffs was they hit Anthony Davis hits a crazy three point shot to beat you. And that was his only three of the entire season, right? Like how, how crazy is it? Yeah. How crazy is it? I didn't even know that. Yes. And and that was a crazy Davis, shot. I know that was his only three. Yeah, that was that only was, three of the whole. Was, go back and look. Only three of the entire regular season was that three that beat gosh. you. I think in Oklahoma City, like right around Christmas time or something, and that yeah. ends up being the, the tiebreaker that that allowed them to to go to the playoffs. And if you go to the playoffs, even as an eight seed, you guys, I think KD was healthy at the end of the year, and Russ was healthy at the end of the year. Like, who know you? You may still be coaching in Oklahoma City. Um, yeah, you know, what? we had we had a lot of tough luck the year before Russell. We ended up being the number one seeded team. We won like 60 games. Russell gets hurt with uh, timeout right before right before half. Right, Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly. Yeah, Patrick Beverly. Yes. And then the next year, everybody got hurt. To start the season, Kevin and Russell were out the first, you know, 12 or 14 games. Serge missed a month. Stephen Adams missed a month. Nick Collison missed a month. Everybody, everybody missed time. And I remember one time, I, we're having some fun with it because everybody was hurt. It was almost become comical. I ran a, I ran, I, I ran a pick and roll with Nick Collison handling the ball with Kendrick Perkins setting the pick for him. And this is how this is how crazy it got for us. But I give our guys credit, man. They played, they played well, and we competed. That was one of I think that was like probably one of the most fun years I've ever had coaching coaching Oklahoma is that year. I mean, we had everybody hurt, but we thought we were all going to come together and become healthy in March. And I, I'll tell you what, at that time we had the Warriors numbers, and they were kicking everybody's butt, and they were worried. They thought we were just resting guys to get them all healthy at the same time to play them in the in the first round. It would have been an epic series, us at the eighth seed and them at the number one seed. But it did not work out that way, and I got fired, and my staff was fired, and, you know, we moved on, and no no hard feelings. Really? At I mean, least now. Every, every, at least now. I mean, every – okay. Because, <laughs> I mean, okay, so there's two parts to this. Uh, the first part is you, I, I, the story you told before about getting cut in in layup lines in you know at halftime of Houston, right? Like there's the you had the pre, at least now you have the perspective of hey I was a non guaranteed undrafted guy from the CBA you know from outside of Sacramento and I made it I won a championship right? But when you get when you get fired for a team that's all banged up and injured and you're this close and you take them to the NBA Finals from one in one in 12 or whatever to being a dominant team in the West with two superstars after a third superstar was traded away at that moment. Did you have the same perspective or, or were you angry? No, no, Doug, I was, I was upset. I was disappointed. I was upset. I thought we built up enough, enough equity and I still had the locker room. I still had the respect and we were improving. Um, even as that tough season we had, we right there making the playoffs in a very, very challenging West. And looking back, and I have great relationships with our, those players still today, and we've had some really candid conversations, and and I'm more proud of the fact that I handle my firing with respect. But, but talking to them, and I know that I probably deserve to maybe coach one more year. And I would have been, been fine. Um, I would have actually told the team, you know, after one more year, if we didn't win a championship, that you know what, 
my my time has, has been served and it was a great run. It's time to move on. But you know, we have all of our injuries, and the thing that I, I to this day, you know, it bothers me a little bit is that when you win a championship, or or in order to win a championship, a lot of times you got to go through a lot of tough times and a lot of you have to have basically some scar tissue on you. I felt that that team was ready. It had enough heart heartache uh, to be able to fight through what you need to go through to win a championship. It's tough. You got to not only go through a grueling 82 game season, ups and downs, the the injuries, the mental wear and tear, the physical wear and tear in your body, but you got to go through four rounds, and that's hard to win one playoff game, let alone four out of seven in 12 days, and you have to do it two rounds, and then you have to do it the, the, the third round, and then to win it all, you got to win the fourth round. But I felt that that team was ready, and it was hard for me not able to coach that team. Um, when, when, when Kevin left, what was your reaction? Um, you know, as a former player, I look at the game a lot of times through a player's eyes because I know it's, it's very short. I've been through a lot of, I've seen a lot of players, really good players get hurt and have a short career. I've seen a players that really get hurt and get traded, uh, mostly hurt. And because they got traded, they give them so much to their organization. So as I look back, as I look through a player's eyes, I say, you know what? They've earned that right to go wherever they want to go, um, because of all the great players that gave them that right, all the great players in the past that gave these players to be free agents. You know, Kevin wanted to leave. That was his choice. You know, how he did it, maybe he could have, you know, maybe he could have did it differently. I don't really know how he did it and who he talked to or who he did not talk to, but, you know, he he had a great run there. He gave that city a, a, a lot of great memories, and, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to, and I put myself in that. We were... We failed to win a championship for that for that organization, and Mr. Bennett all gave us all a lot of great opportunities and resources to do that. So you go to Washington, and you have these these two young stars, and the perception is Beal and Wall don't like playing with each other. That's that's the perception, right? What's the yeah. reality of coaching yeah. those two? Well, going into that, I I heard it, I read about it, and I was well aware of it, and I wanted to make sure that I was. You know, had my ears open or and my eyes open, and just understand that I I want to be able to fill it. I want to, if they don't, I want to figure you know want to figure out why. But my first year, I did not I did not see it, did not hear it, did not feel it. So I never really had to worry about that. Now, are they competitive sometimes against uh, against each other in practice? Absolutely, but I want that. I I manufacture that. I put them on different teams. I want the two best players to compete against each other. That's how you gain respect for one another. That's how you gain respect for your team. And I want to see the other guys step up. And you know what? They've been great teammates. And, you know, they've been through a lot of um, playoff losses together. And I feel like, you know, we're, we're close. And, you know, we've been close for a while. But going into the season, it's not about – it's not about talking. It's about just doing it and, and continuing to, uh, to improve and, and get better. But two young players, two young guards, that's a good start to have, and we have that. And John Wall is healthy. He's been healthy all summer, and Brad's doing a great job in his training. I've saw them both last week, and I'm looking forward to starting the season. Okay, um, there's the picture of John at the USA basketball workouts. 
And I mean, it look, it, it was great internet fodder. It's the middle of summer and he looked heavy. You saw him la- you saw him last week. Is he in fact heavy? You know what? I saw him before. I saw him before he took that picture about 10 days before and I saw him about 10 days after. Before I thought he was in great shape. Body fat's like, I don't know, 5 or 6%. He was like 2 218, 220. It was a bad picture. It was definitely a bad picture. And, and, and I tell him, John, you got this look. It's like I call it the, the Hollywood uncapped look. He has this wild hairstyle now. And it's just like you just woke up and it looks bad. But that's his look. He's like, look like he's homeless. But I'll tell you what, he competes. And that's what I love about him. He competes. And I saw him last week. He's down to like 216, 218. And he's in great shape. His knees are good. We're looking forward to having another productive year from, from him. You know, we, we won, we, we make the playoffs last year. He misses 41 games and I, 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 I'm not so sure I would have, I would have predicted that before the season, but hopefully he can stay healthy and we can all stay healthy and have a great year. How much different is it without LeBron in the East? Big difference. Talked to a lot of the coaches that couldn't figure his, that puzzle out. Uh, a lot of great coaches lost. A lot of great teams. Boston couldn't get by him a couple of years. Toronto couldn't get by him a couple of years. Uh, everybody couldn't get by him. He, he's, I think Kevin Love said it best. He's playing checkers when a lot of the, a lot of the other guys are playing. I mean, he's playing chess and the guys are playing checkers. He has this IQ that you don't see often. He knows every team's plays. He knows... Sometimes I will throw out a play call, just a random play call, because I know he can hear. And one time I, I don't know, I yelled out like uh, four horns, and he looked at me like four horns. You don't got four horns. You don't got four horns. <laughs> and so, and it's true. The guy knows everything, and to be so great. And like I said, only two players in the NBA history can be an All Star on all five positions. Him and Magic Johnson. If they wanted to be a center this year, they could have both been an All Star. Want to be a two guard, they both could have been an All Star going down the line and he's that talented and a lot of coaches are happy that he's no longer around in the East. Uh, uh, Should we, as a guy who played in the Magic and Bird era, should people put Magic and Bird in the conversation of Jordan and LeBron or should they not? Uh, Absolutely. They changed the game. They changed the dynamics of the league. They took it to another level. It wouldn't be where it is if it wasn't for them. They both had team winning spirits and competitive spirits that we all want our teams and players to have. And I love both of them. I loved them as a kid growing up, and I was so fortunate to be on the same court to compete against them. But they, you know, it's interesting. Some of the, the older players don't get the respect because, uh, you know, the, sometimes the my generation or even the younger millennials think that basketball didn't start till you know, uh, mid nineties, uh, late nineties, but man, there's a lot of great players. For Jabbar not being mentioned as the greatest player ever is to me criminal as well. The guy played twenty years, made nineteen All Stars, I think six times MVP, six yep. times championships, and all time leading scorer. For him not to be mentioned uh, is crazy in my my opinion. He had a shot that nobody can ever stop or ever tried to ever um, duplicate. and But there's so many great players. It's so unfair to, to say who's better than who. Who's the best player whose ass you kicked in an NBA game? Say that again? Who's the best player whose ass you kicked in an NBA game? 
<laughs> that I did? Yeah. Like uh, I got, or, or that, that, that I got, huh? I mean, it's not, not like you're going to play against him now. So you can, now you can, now you can tell us like, man, I got him. Oh my God. There's, you mean the other way around that kicked mine? No, I'm saying that you, I'm, I was going to do the opposite in a second, but I, first I, first I wanted, first I wanted the guys whose ass you kicked. Well, I, I'll tell you what, there's one game. It was so, we ended up losing the game. Uh, we threw the ball out of bounds. We had a chance to win the game. We're at Detroit. And I had, we were playing it was one of the few TNT games at the time, and I happened to be uh, having my best game. I think I had like 20 against Isaiah. I'm not saying I kicked his butt, but I had a good game against him. Uh, but, yeah, that was, that was one of my better games. And, but, unfortunately, we didn't win the game. But, and then you're going to ask me the next question? Yeah, yeah, I want the next the one. I want some, some... Isaiah, he kicked my butt all the time. That guy, that guy is so good and he was and he did it with a smile and he would he would i mean he was borderline dirty and you knew he was but he did it with a smile and he i mean that guy i can't even imagine what he would do in in today's game the way the game is played that you don't not you don't get chucked walking across the court anymore everybody's guarding the three-point line the middle's wide open the guy would average 35 a game yeah, no, I mean he had, he just he was he was a killer. He was a he was a killer. Only he did it with basketballs instead of with knives or with you know with with guns. That's that, that's yeah, uh, yes, exactly. Uh, all right, let, let's let's finish with this. So here's here's my version of the story. Um, is Los Cabrieros, and you used to have your crew, yeah. right? Uh, I think yeah. Bob Thornton was on that crew, right? Um, yeah. I I I think I think Scotty was on that crew. Um, I think Todd Murphy yeah. was on that crew. I'm trying to think. Yeah. I'm not sure if Wayne Engelstad would show up and play as well. Yeah, but it was all it was, Johnny Rogers. Okay. Johnny Rogers, of course. Um, and so you guys would play, and we would kind of fill out the younger, you know, and then there was the Cherokee Parks of the world and kind of the younger college-age players in Orange County, and then, or, and then there was like the high school kids. And so, you know, kind of like you used to hang around LMU, we would hang around Los Cab. There's two gyms. And sometimes we yeah. play in the JV court. Sometimes we get to play in your varsity court. So all I remember was you lit me up and said, get the fuck off of my court or something like that. And <laughs> I was like, I was, like, and all I remember was, I don't know what, what did I do to piss off Scotty Brooks? Then so they were like, dude, Scotty hates you. He hates you. I was like, I don't know what I, I don't even know what I did. Just tell me what I did. Okay. So what was, well, was it, it, it my dad? It, it, was my dad it, it, came I mean, in and put I, me in the game? I, I was remember it? I remember the story, and I remember the games, and I remember all I remember is this. I said this guy was the basically Southern California high school player. Went to Notre Dame, went to OSU, and this guy is strong. I mean, this guy is strong and athletic, and jump out of the gym and could dime it as well as anybody. I'm like, I'm making sure that he he doesn't know that I have any respect for him. And that's the truth. I had a lot of respect for you because you played hard. No, I, th- guys, I, th- I thought it was that my dad got me on. guys compete like that. But you played hard, and you're, you're a freak athlete. And nobody ever talks about that because, hey, this guy's, you know, 5'11", white guy, can't jump. But, no, you were, you were pretty athletic, and you didn't get a lot of credit for that. But I, I do remember those times, and I didn't want to give you an edge at all. 
I think you're being nice. I think I think the story was though that early on my dad would say like, "Hey, uh, he's got to get in a game." Like I, he would like he would sit there and like make me get in a game, and would just piss you. Like this is my game. We are NBA players. Get off yeah. my court. Get out. Okay. Of, get out of my rewind, gym. Rewind, rewind, And I know I, I definitely know part of the reason. I remember your dad. God bless him. The guy loved his kids and loved basketball, like like I do, and like I want to, like I want to do the same. But he would put you into the games, and this was you were you just graduated from high school. Where'd you go, like Tustin? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You just graduated from high school, and he would put you on the court against like. And at that time, we had any given day, we had nine NBA players, and and I'm like, no, 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 man, we can't play play play, play him on the court. It's no it's no fun. You know, at that time, you weren't good enough to be on the court. But not only were your dad put you on the court he would take me out of the game and put you in my place i said no that's not happening but that's how that's how that's how you got better think about it that's how you got better by playing against really really good players um all right, all right last thing um obviously your mom was an amazing lady amazing lady yeah and yeah. We, we started we start we started by by is um is is that what what drives you? I mean, because like, look, you you do get to a point, and you're not old. You do get to a point to which you're like, look, you can keep doing this, Washington. There can be another team. Like, what is the the internal motivation for you to keep pushing, keep pressing forward? You've talked about how it's your upbringing, but what what drive? Once you've made it, once you've you made it in the NBA, you made it as head coach, you made it to the NBA Finals, you made it to get a, a job in DC with great players. What drives you to keep achieving? Uh, well, obviously, my mom instilled that into me just as your your family. And now that I have a wife and two kids, they drive me. They drive me. I love what I do. I'm passionate what I do. I care about what I do. I get nervous still to this day before practice, before games, because I want to win every practice. I want to win every game, and I care about it. It's good to have those butterflies in your stomach. But I tell you, people always ask me, how do you handle all the, you know, all the criticism, the social media, and just the, the Internet just blows up? I said, I don't really, I don't care about any of that. I can get criticized all, all I want. That's just part of the territory. You win a game, you're a great coach. You lose a game, um, you're a bad you coach. It. Actually, when you right. win a game, you got great players. You lose a game, the coach stinks. So right. I get that mentality. But really what drives me is my kids and my wife. If I disappoint them and they criticize me, that's when I say, you know what, I got to step back and, and you know check myself and make sure that I'm doing things right. But if they don't criticize me, I'm in good shape, and I don't I don't care about the other other thing. That's just part of the part of the business. But that's what drives me. I love what I do, and I and I care about what I do, and I think I have a great opportunity and a great team to coach, and I'm really excited about this coming year. All right, I I I lied. I have one more. Um... How do okay. you, inst- this, this is a question I, I really want. So I, I grew up, you know, my dad, he got fired at Long Beach State in 84. And I, you know, we didn't grow up with, with much, but we didn't grow up, you know, I, I didn't grow up with one parent, seven, you know, seven kids in a, in a house uh, picking walnuts and, and, and onions. How do you, yeah. inst- how do you get your kids to be as hungry? I ask NBA guys this all the time. How do you get your kids to be as hungry as you were, even though, you know, yours have grown up in, for the most part, in another Oklahoma City when you're an NBA coach or in Southern California. Like, how do you instill the, the same hunger and yet you give them all of the different support that we didn't have when we were kids? You know, that's, uh, that's the question that we all ask ourselves. And a lot of players that have 
kids, and that's funny. You said that Brad Bradley Bill just had a little baby boy, and I told him the same thing. Brad, how are you going to do it? How are you going to be able to combat uh, your son's upbringing? Is going to be totally different than yours. And we've talked about that. You know what I what I did? I knew I I wanted my kids to be good people and to treat everybody with respect, like everybody does. And, but I needed them to be to have a burning desire to compete, and I I felt that you know what the chance of them to be athletic, uh, and then to, is probably not very high. I'm not I'm not going to say they can't do it at a young age, but I'm saying you know what if they do, great. I'm going to encourage it. I'm going to uh, empower them and, and making sure that they have the best um, chances to succeed. But I definitely wanted them to have the burning desire to be educated. That's something I grew up, and we didn't know about all the things that you can do with your brain, with your mind, all the education, all the, the great things that that um, gives you. And But I, that's what my wife and I decided to do. And, you know, my son goes to USC. My daughter's a senior in high school, and then she has a great opportunity. She's probably the smartest one of all of us. But I'm proud of that, uh, and I think that's what I'm challenging them to be, do great things off of the athletic field and you guys, and they are, and they're doing it. I'm proud of them. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to point out that you obviously sold out your wife's athletic genes because you were a great athlete and saying your kids would not be athletes <laughs> only proves that you're like, yeah, listen, I blame it on because of you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's a great way to wrap. Hey man, listen, you've been awesome with your time. Uh, I can't wait All to right, catch yeah. up with you in, during the season. Thanks so much. I'll see you at yoga. Namaste. And thanks for joining us. All right, man. All right, Doc. See you, man. All right, that's it for All Ball. Uh, look, basketball season clearly heating up. Glad you enjoyed Scott Brooks and his fascinating life in our discussion this week on the Thunder and the Washington Wizards. We'll start to dig in next week on this year's NBA. Is Jimmy Butler will he be traded by the time the next all ball drops. We'll have to pay attention to that, how that reshapes the league. I will have some previews for you and more outstanding guests. Make sure you tell a friend, make sure you subscribe, you download and you rate the show. And Oh yeah, by the way, if you give us a listen, the Doug Gottlieb show is daily on Fox sports radio, Fox sports radio.com, the iHeartRadio app, three to six Eastern, 12 to three Pacific. We also have daily podcasts for that as well. Thanks for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb in this is all ball. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.